welcome to another episode of Fretman's Bobcast. I am your host, Fretman. First of all, I want to say hello and welcome back to the Fretman Podcast show. If this is your first time here, thank you for listening. If you are returning, what's wrong with you? I do want to take this chance and thank everyone that reached out to me via social media or via email. I did take a extended summer hiatus. Spent a lot of quality time with my kids, my wife. Although it did seem like a brief sabbatical from uh, podcasting, I am back. Our computer is working, and we are all set to start uh, pumping these out again. During my summer break, I did have a chance to do some soul searching, listen to lots of music, and rethink about the structure of this podcast and try to bring it back to its roots, back to my obsession, like what my wife calls it, or my main objective. And it's the history, the inspiration of writing a song and falling in love with its melody, its rhythm, and its lyrics. It's such an inspiration. I thought to myself, who would be the perfect guest for the 15th episode of Men's Popcast? Our guest for our 15th episode is the one and only Larry Milburn from Roadie Free Radio, also known as AKA Ruben from the Roadie short film. Now you're probably wondering why I'm kind of whispering. Well, I think every time we say his name, he gets a SAG voucher, I believe. Uh, besides being a host, creator of a podcast, a very well popular podcast in the music industry. He was also an actor. He was a director, a producer, cameraman, musician. And without any further ado, please enjoy the interview with Larry Milburn from Roadie Free Radio. Thank you for uh, coming on the show and uh, giving us your insight on the music world and um, the sure. Hollywood world. I know Absolutely, you're... Uh, man. Thanks for having me. Take the shirt, dude. Are you a telly player yourself? I'm a telly player, yes. So now the, the big reason why we have you on the show is you made a movie, a short film. Well, you made a lot of movies. I kind of yeah. went through your uh, IMBD profile, and you go by a lot of names. You, <laughs> you have a whole yeah. spreadsheet of things that you've done um, from acting. You've been credited 11 times. According to IMBD, I'm... I'm reading it off here you've yeah, produced I can tell you the rest but you know it's all top secret <laughs> yeah, exactly. so edited director writer i mean you've been out there you were mr hollywood i <laughs> i i did do the hollywood thing for a while i did i, I moved out there uh in 94 august of 94 from new york from the east coast uh and had never been out there I went out for my 22nd birthday, something like that. Yeah, 22nd, 23rd birthday. Um, I had been, I, I moved, after college, I moved back to New York and was pursuing acting there, acting in music. Started started writing songs when I was living in the city. And um, I just, I'd grown up back here my whole life and, and um, you know, started acting right before college and then acted all the way through college and studied in London and did that. I'm like, I wanted to be like a theater guy. That was my thing and Shakespeare and all that. And, um, 
Went to the city, and I lasted like eight, nine months. And I was just starting to feel like, you know what, I'm, it's too, it's still too close to home. My family was up here in Connecticut, but we had a lot of roots, family and whatnot in the city in Manhattan. And, and I was just like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere else. And I had this crazy, my first thought was to go to Memphis. I had done a road trip with a buddy of mine in Memphis and uh, we did Graceland and you know, we did all the stuff. Yeah. And I, my first thought was like, I'm going to go someplace where I don't know anybody and I'm going to write songs and pursue acting and literally get a job just like washing dishes to be able to support that. And after about another day of researching that idea, I was like, well, that's not so great. Why don't I go to LA? And I knew maybe two people and we had like some distant family out there. And so I went out for my birthday and lasted like two weeks. It was a week. And um, that was it. And I fell in love. I was like, this is it, man. I got to, I got to come out here. Of course, it was right after the earthquake. Ooh. Northridge, Northridge. Was right after the riots. So rent was cheap. <laughs> and I was like, that's it, man. I got to go. And I did. I went out there and um, I stayed with a buddy right off of, right on Poinsettia and Melrose. Okay. Like the West Hollywood, La Brea district, whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, right down the street from Paramount and Sunset Strip and all that. And uh, it was a different time. Like L.A., you know, early 90s, mid 90s was was a different thing and uh, than it is now. And um, I literally walked around when I was staying at Point City. I just walked that neighborhood, ended up finding my apartment that I lived at for 15 years on Gardner and Beverly. Gardner and Oakwood, to be exact. And, um, yeah, man, I, I did everything out there. I, I cut my teeth playing music, acting. I did, you know, all the old coffee shops. I played the Roxy once and, and uh, did a small little tour through the through the West and up north and played on an old radio station up in uh, San Luis Obispo called K Otter. Great radio station. I played that twice with another band, once with my band and once with another band. And... Um, yeah, I loved LA. I had a, I had a great time out there, and then I I ditched the acting and just went into music, and then I ditched the music and went back to acting <laughs> in around 2000. And, uh, and yeah, man, then I made this film in 2000. And, well, 2002, I came up with the idea, and then in 2003, I shot the thing, and then it came out in 2004, and it completely changed my life. And I wanted to be a filmmaker at that point. Then it was like I'm not acting again. I don't need to do that. I want to make movies. And the big piece of that was music because the editor that I had helped me with the film at the time would send me home with like a finished scene from the short film that I was making uh, called Roadie, which is an homage to the film Top Gun, but told through the world of roadies for a rock band. And I play the Tom Cruise character. And uh, he'd send me home with like different scenes that he cut, and he was like, "Here, put try try different pieces of music underneath this thing." And I was like, "All right." And, and as soon as I did that, as soon as I I was playing with music under the visuals, I realized the power that you had as an editor to change a scene, a feeling, a mood uh, so drastically, so quickly. You, know, you could you could do so much with it, and um, 
that was it. I wanted to make movies after that. I did. I made like three more short films. I got asked to make films after that. Then I switched directions, became an editor. Then I started producing more, producing and editing behind the scenes content feature, uh, you know, like DVD featurettes and things like the you know, making of specials and stuff. And, um, ended up moving back here and had a whole different chapter startup. Awesome. That's dude. You've lived a full circle almost. I would say it's been crazy. Yeah, it's been totally nuts, man. And then, yeah, and then, you know, starting the podcast, Roadie free radio was like a whole other, another whole door. Just like the other doors, you know, you don't expect these things to happen, right? You yeah. kind of go for it. And, um, yeah, now it's brought me, it's brought me here face to face with you. I Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. What a simple act or, you know, little thing that you would do totally changes your whole perspective of things. Yeah. It, it is, uh, it's, it's nuts. And I, I think I've done at least one YouTube video about it. I talk about it on the podcast with people, you know, um, with the folks that I have on the show, because I've had a lot of stories of people that, you know, Greg Looper, monitor engineer for the Almond Brothers, and then ultimately for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He was with Tom for a long time, and he was with the Almond Brothers for a long time. You know, this guy got out of the Air Force. He has this rare blood disease thing that, that, uh, that, you know, he has to keep in check. Somehow he does that on the road. But he got out of the Air Force. He didn't know what he was going to do. And he went, I think he went to see a band, if I get this right. He went out for a night. He went to see a band at a bar. Came out. He was standing on the corner. And a buddy drove up in a car and was like, hey, man, I'm going to this other party. You want to come along? <laughs> Basically, and do you need, do you know something about a PA? Something like that. You come help us out. Well, that changed his life. That totally, you know, changed your your perspective, your, your career path, yeah. everything. That was it, that one night. And so a lot of times I'll ask that question at the end of a podcast, right? If you could go back to that moment, um, what would you say to yourself? You know, what would be yeah. your advice at that moment, you know? Um, but it, it is. It's um, a lot of these folks, you know, career careers were, were determined in a, a random fleeting moment. That's amazing. And they followed their passion. Their, that yeah, they follow the music. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, man, not, not to get too deep on you right off the bat here in the show, but, you know, I'm, I'm 48, just turned 48. And the more I think about it, like wow, you know, the end is definitely out there somewhere. Yeah. So so why not live as much of the life as you want to as you can? Yes. Um, before it's it's too late. You never know when that's going to happen. So mm -hmm. you just got to go for it. Got to go all in. Exactly. Exactly. You know? I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And you can now. You know, the other thing is, I think it's important to point out is like you can do that now. You know, if you want to learn how to make a film, pick up your iPhone or your Galaxy, whatever the hell you have, and figure out how to do it with that. Yes. You know, if you can do it with that, which you can, um, you can start. And if you get really amazingly good at doing it on your phone, you'll make enough money to buy a camera. Yes. You know? Yeah. It, and then it's... you can buy the camera. You can, you can move up when you want. 
Want to be a songwriter? Well, fucking Garage Band, can we swear on your show? Yeah, you can say whatever you fucking want. Okay. All right, sweet. <laughs> uh, you know, every Mac computer comes with Garage Band. It's, yeah, that's what I, I started on. It's free. Download the thing, figure out how to edit a song and record a song. Uh, I talk about this a lot on my show. You know, I've had the Rolling Stones front of house uh, guy, front of house engineer, Dave Natal. Had him on last year, and I just had a guy named Kevin Quiz Ryan who works with Beyonce and Jay Z. And I asked them the same questions, like, you know, do you need what kind of gear do you use? Do you need the most expensive shit? And both those guys threw out, you know, the, using an SM57, basically. Yeah. The guy after Rolling Stones, he's like, dude, I use 57s on the on the guitars and everything, and I use 58s for vocal. That's what I use. That's it. And if you can't mix a band using that, then you shouldn't be going out and spending six, seven hundred dollars on a microphone that exactly. you don't know how to use. Exactly. <laughs> and you can start with that. You can start with a microphone from Guitar Center that's at ninety-nine dollars. I mean, you know, I've talked about. You might have heard. You know, the Samson Q2U is a great mic for podcasting. You know, I don't know if any of your listeners might want to be starting podcasts. It's fifty-nine dollars or something. It's USB and XLR. There's a volume switch on the bottom. An on and off switch. Thing's amazing. It's $60, for God's sakes. It comes with a stand. It's got everything, you know. Um, you can get into this game. Any of these creative arts, you can jump in these days very easily. Yes. Start. So there's no excuse. That is that is true. And, and, and thanks to technology, it's made it so accessible and easier to, uh, to do, you know. I, yeah. I remember cutting tape when I went through school. I had right. to cut tapes and try to put them together to get the scene on, on track. So right, I, right, exactly. you know, I went through an old school process. So technology for me, it's, it's easy now. Yeah. I mean, even this, right. Talking through Skype to do an interview. Exactly. Be a podcast. I mean, that's, that's been amazing. That's been a, not a game changer for me, but that's helped me tremendously. Like you, I've got a son, four year old. When I started the podcast, he was one. I think wow. I got that right around one. And, you know, I was like still going out to shows to driving two hours to New York to go sit in a green room or the back of a bus with a, you know, a yeah. crew member to interview them. Um, and after a bit, I just had to switch and it was easier to get them easier to do it from here. The comfort of my, my studio. Uh, yep. You know, through Skype, and it's it's fine. It's great. I definitely want to get back out there and do more in-person stuff. I like the in-person thing, but anyway. It, it's hard with their schedule, and, you know, they're running around. They're busy. It's hard It's hard to do it. It's the same thing with me, with the artists. It, it's hard to try to, you know, it's like what we did. We went back and forth, back and forth, until we finally locked the date. You know, the same thing with the artists. It's, it's, it's hard to get these people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. So... So yeah, it's been a it's been a uh, it's been an incredible journey. I'm constantly surprised by. So I've, I've so just to let you, our our listeners, uh, are, are you recording also for your podcast? Um, I am. I could make this an episode if you want. Well, it's up to you. You edit your show, by the way. You know what? I learned from you <laughs> <laughs> to edit as least as possible. And I've yeah. learned from uh, uh, some sound guys, you know what? Just let it go. Just yeah. let it go. 
Yeah. Make it sound natural. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know if this part was going to be in yours or not. Yeah, it probably is now. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever's listening is probably going to enjoy a laugh with us yeah, or exactly. say, what the hell are they talking about? That's right. Um, your movie, The Roadie. Let's, let's, I know we kind of got off track there a little bit. The movie, Roadie, for uh, yeah. listeners that are listening, they can visit. Where can they visit to watch this video, the short film? See the short film, Roadie? Roadie. Uh, to see the short film, Roadie, you can go to my website, roadiefreeradio.com. And I believe if you click the button film or the film, let's, let's go and we'll, uh, we will go ahead and and just you know, verify that. Oh no, not that. You go to our show. Sorry, you go to you go to roadiefreeradio.com, Hit the tab our show. There's a drop down. You can hit the film, and then that takes you to um, Roadie, and you can watch it and laugh and hate it and love it and do all of those things. <clears throat> I have kind of a polarized. Uh, uh, community out there of, of fans who, who have seen this. I read and, the comments, by the way. Some yeah. people are just assholes. Yes, yes, they are, but they I mean, I don't claim that this is a phenomenal film. Here's what I claim. I wanted to make it, and I accomplished that goal. And that it got me here. And it's awesome. So, you know, you can't argue with that. No. You can argue all day with me if you don't like the film or whatever, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it was what it was, man. For, I, I went into it just to give a little backstory. And I do talk about this. I talked about this in a, a recent episode of mine. I believe it was I episode it episode 30, 147, I think. It would be 147. <laughs> you know, you, you got to know the phenomenon of in a podcast, right? It's always like the next one. Yes. So if, if the listeners that are listening to it and want to listen to the episode where he talks about, oh, I think I'm losing Larry here. Or I'm losing Larry. Here we go. We're back. If, well, the listeners can go on to uh, Rody Free Radio, the podcast, and listen to the episode where he talks about any name drops. I mean, he name drops. Everybody that worked on that production, <laughs> I did. Well, I had to give. I had to give credit. You know, I had to give credit. I'm trying to find the how far back it is. Oh, it's not that far. It's like three episodes back. It's called from Roadie to Roadie Free Radio. There you go, folks. Um, yeah, but I, I went into the thing as an actor, trying to get an agent, basically, and at the time. You know, people were making these short films starring themselves so they could get further along in their career. And uh, so I, and I was just frustrated because I was working. I was a working actor. I was making like, I think that year alone, I made like 50, 60 grand as an actor, which, you know, maybe in the grand scheme of things doesn't sound like a lot, but like, that's all I was doing. You know, I was able to do that off of like one commercial, actually. One commercial. And some guest starring roles and some sitcoms and whatnot, and uh, some work I did on um, Not Young and the Restless. Yeah, I'm blanking on it. General Hospital. General Hospital. 
General Hospital. I was on General Hospital. And uh, and so, you know, I'd go see these agents, right? And they were like, oh, there's not enough there. What else do you have? And you're like, motherfucker, man. I have been, you know, working my balls off for years. And I'm coming in here with 60 grand that I'm making, right? And all I need, and with no help, by the way, like these were all relationships with casting directors that I had developed on my own. So they would just call me or page me directly. Wow. And I was like, all I need is for someone to help open the door to more of them. You know, I don't need you to like, you know, skyrocket me to some shit. Just like get me to more casting directors. That's it. Just get me more auditions. And, uh, and they'd be like, well, what, what else? What else do you have? And you're like, I'm, I'm on TV again at one o'clock with General Hospital. What do you want? You know. Anyway, <laughs> so I came up with the idea for for Rhodey, and um, and I put it together, and uh, it just, you know, even before it came out, I knew I wasn't going to act again. I had one more role coming up in a movie that I did, and uh, and that was it. You know, I was like, I was going to honor that. But what I wanted to do was be a filmmaker. Nice. So that's what I went for. Awesome. That is awesome. Wow. You just, and you were single at that time. No kids, right? Well, I had a girlfriend at the time and um, no kids though. And uh, we had been together for at that point, like coming up on three years. I think when I came up with the idea, we were in our second year. And, um, she, it was not a, it was not the right relationship, let's just say. And she didn't, she didn't kind of get that sort of all in mentality. It's, you know, it's funny. You got to pick people, you know, that are going to support you because if they don't, it's not going to last unless you fold on your own dreams. Because she, I remember distinctly several times, she'd be like, well, what do you, what if this doesn't go anywhere? What if this doesn't do anything? And I was like, I, I'm whatever how old I was at that point, you know, in my thirties. I was like, I don't even know what that means. I can't even think about that. Right? Like, <laughs> I had a job. I was waiting tables, or I was actually was bartending in LA, and I was going to make this film. I was raising the money from back east. I had investors, and I had favors I was calling in and stuff for gear and all that, and. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? What else am I going to do? What else? You, that's, you know, I think when you've got that, when you're like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do, man. This is what I'd love to do. Yeah. Anyway, consequently, before we started filming, like literally maybe two weeks before we started filming, uh, she basically broke up with me. That was it. Oh, man. You yeah. played the blues so, on that one. <laughs> so that's a good, that's a good uh, impetus to just throw yourself into the... Actually, we, we went on a scout. Um, and if I'm rambling too much, by the way, it's you know it's almost 10 o'clock here. You got you to gotta reel me in, man. But All I right, remember, I, will, I, will. I will. I remember we had a scout planned okay. for our location, and it was like we all met. You listen to the episode where I talk about... How I made it with you know Tony Scott's world and all that. Yes, yes, and listeners can uh, listen to the episode to get further yeah. details on that. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a nutshell, I got to I had Tony Scott, the late great Tony Scott director, you know, basically involved in the periphery, and so I met at his office, 
because one of my producers was his assistant. So I remember going to the office, Totem it was called, and telling that producer and my other producer before the van came and we were meeting like the rest of the crew. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> last night did not go very well. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, my relationship is over. And they're like, oh my God, do you want to cancel today? And I was like, fuck, no, we're not canceling today. Like, we got to go. We're doing this, you know? It w- and it wasn't until like months after the film came out or actually that I was done or maybe in the edit. I came home one night from bartending at like two in the morning and just laid on the couch. And I was like, oh, oh. my God, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> it like, kicked girl, in after that. It's gone. That was a late, late, uh, yeah. it was a delayed a re- emotional reaction. Yes. Exactly. It happens. It happens. Exactly. You know, when your dreams are set for something, yeah. it sometimes you put emotions to the side. Yeah, totally. Now. We'll, we'll we'll skip around because I know it's really late out there in uh, the East Coast. <laughs> it's all good, man. Now you have a relative who's very famous guitar player. I do, I do. I I would like to hope that he is very famous. He was very famous at one point. He's a guitar he hero for all of us. Know. What's that? He's a guitar hero for a lot of us. Yeah, if you know who Michael Bloomfield is, then you know that he should be a hero for you, for sure. Yeah, so a third cousin of mine was a guy named Michael Bloomfield, who I never got to meet. Um, and But his spirit, as I say, has loomed large over my family and over me and my playing um, since I was a kid, man. I, I was introduced to the guitar by my uncle David. So my family's from Chicago. My, my mom's side of the family whatever is from highland park and michael grew up in glencoe and they played together my mom and michael played together as kids and my uncle david my mom's brother and michael actually played guitar together okay I see the so when i was six um my uncle david i remember at my other uncle's uh house busted out his know martin guitar as he would usually do and um and i remember him playing you know one four five blues shuffle and singing the opening phrases of born in chicago i was born in chicago in 1941 blah 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 and stopping and being like that's your family man wow cousin you know michael bloomfield and um you know six years old i was like whatever but i was mesmerized by that the tone uh and uh and then he played a bunch of other stuff but um but he taught me to play and then as i got older uh, i think i think my first bloomfield record that was my way in was probably super session with al cooper and steven stills which nice. you know michael only plays the first half of and um and then from there it was you know, the deep dive into the Butterfield stuff yep. and um, obviously Highway 61. I'm looking on my wall because I have, <laughs> I've got a bunch of Michael's record albums framed. Uh, and um, so, yeah, Michael Bloomfield and if anyone listening is on the East Coast, November 16th here in Washington, Connecticut. I am putting on yet another event. Um, and for those of you Bloomfield fans listening, if you do not know this, 
uh, an author named David Dan will be coming out on October 15th with the definitive Michael Bloomfield biography, 478 pages. I just was sent a copy and it's sitting next to my bed and I'm like, holy shit, I've got, I've got a month to plow through this book before I do yet another interview with him. Um, David's been on the show a couple of times, but uh, November 16th here in Washington, Connecticut, I'm doing a night with David and a woman named Sandy Warren, who just produced um, a film called Horn from the Heart, which is the Paul Butterfield story. Nice. So I'm going to have both of them up there. We're going to show some clips from her film, an interview with both of them. And um, I'm trying to get G.E. Smith wow. to come because he lives a couple of hours away. And more, more important than just having G.E., he knows the guy who lives near him who has Bloomfield's telly. Whoa. Cut, where they cut the horn off on one side. Yeah. I, he didn't cut it off, but the guy sold it to him. Anyway, they put it all back together. There's a killer video out, um, if you know the name, Dan Erlewine. And Dan has the guitar, and he basically strips it down and verifies everything about it, that it is Bloomfields and it's all correct and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's a great other video of John, of G.E. Smith playing the Bloomfield telly, because he was a big Bloomfield disciple. So I've got a couple connects to G.E. I've met him a couple times. I actually interviewed him for a film that I helped co-produce called Sweet Blues, which is a film about Michael Bloomfield. Uh, and um, I'm hoping he's going to come. And Jimmy Vivino also. Yeah. Jimmy Vivino um, has the number six Bloomfield Gibson reissue prototype that they did. Uh, and I've seen it. I've held it. Uh, and um, he usually is in this area for things, so I'm going to see if I can get him to stop by as well. And, and wow. just have these guys do like some kind of little 20 minute demonstration, you know, something. Um, but anyway, yeah, Michael Bloomfield, man, you know, he was in one of the first interracial bands yes. in the 60s. He, you know, gave Bob Dylan a whole new. A whole new sound. Yes. Like I electric. Mean, yep. Electric, like a Rolling Stone. Yeah. You know, some amazing songs. And then just as a guitar player, I mean, you know, defining a sound on the Telecaster, right? And then defining a sound on a Les Paul. Yeah. And then and then kind of vanishing into obscurity. And then dying of an overdose and being stuck in a car. Which, yeah, it's sad and tragic. Oh, and what the fuck? The electric flag, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. The electric flag. He, you know, he started one of the first. There was another band similar, uh, but he started one of the first. His buddy Al Cooper started the other one in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. An, an Americana rock band with horns. That is, yeah, it's sweet. Crazy. So yeah, I got tons of Bloomfield photos, you know, posters around the office here. And uh, and if you're looking for charts or guitar tabs, you can get them at. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I help everybody out. Look at you! Yeah, I've got ten books left. 
10 books. Ten you hear that, guys? 10 books, guys and gals. Yeah, guys and gals listening. I, I don't discriminate. No, no, we don't. <laughs> One big happy family here. That's right. Uh, He's got yeah, 10 books. Legend, I think they're called Legendary Licks, and they're like these great tab books. And when I did this other film called Brass Glass and Steel, um, I was selling these in the uh, in the Kickstarter campaign, and they're like these tablature books, and you can then have a CD of the rhythm section. They're awesome, man. So it's got like a ton of his great licks, the opening licks to Albert Shuffle off a of Super Session, and yeah. you know some stuff off of East West. Got my mojo working, and just some great stuff, man. It's it's amazing. I'm I'm still going through it, and I'm in awe. And if you don't know who Michael Bloomfield is. I'm going to point you to one of the first YouTube videos I made that is, I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, that was terrible. But the information is good. It just looks like shit. Um, <laughs> it's called a Michael Bloomfield primer. And in there, I give you a quick rundown on like, here's, you know, two books you should buy. Here's two records you should start with. And, uh, you know, here's what he did with the Les Paul. Here's what he did with the Le uh, uh, Telecaster. Boom. So. You can check that out, radio.com on YouTube. That's right. And we'll have a link uh, going directly to uh, Larry's uh, podcast as well and to all those sites. Links, you got to have all the links, too. Yeah, we got to add everything. That's right. You know, I'm going to go to the Apple Store and go uh, demand some service here. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Now, what, knowing, you know, we, we went through um, Michael's history a little bit and his stuff and uh, your video. What was one of the first songs that you learned? Of his or just mine in general? Just yours in general. God. Um, I don't know why this one's coming to me, but you know that song about 10 years after I'd Love to Change the World? I'm trying to think of it here. I'll look it that up. Was, that was one of the first in high school. Okay. That's a Quincy Oh, now I know which one it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That tune, learned that in high school. But there was other stuff. Good Loving was early on. I'm also I'm a, I'm a Grateful Dead fan, folks. Nice. Okay. I was into the dead. 48. 48 years old. I've done my share of Grateful Dead listening. Uh, so, you know, probably some of those tunes way back. Um, but I started on acoustic guitar when I was like six or seven. I still have the guitar that my mom bought me upstairs. Nice. Um, and, uh, and then the first electric I got was a Japanese Strat White because I had seen the Hendrix Monterey film and was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I needed one of those things. Yeah. And so I got one of those with a PV backstage plus amplifier. The amp is sitting over there. The guitar is long gone. Um, but, uh, you can get a setting on that, on that PV. that just makes it sound like Hendrix is sitting right there. Not that I can play like that. Let's be clear, <laughs> but you know, enough distortion and a whammy bar. You can pretty much think, Hot shit. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so at that, and then, um, yeah, man, it was off to the races from there. 
But then my, my main rig when I moved to LA was a Gibson ES347 hmm. that I bought at Manny's Music. And a, I got a Fender Twin Reverb. I had to buy that because Michael used to play a Twin Reverb. So I would play a Fender Twin Reverb at these clubs in LA with the Gibson with a tube screamer and a blues driver. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, Hope you yeah. had your plugs. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never got it too loud. And you know what's funny, man? I had a, when I went to Manny's to buy the Gibson, I also bought a Fender, one of those mid 90s, early, whatever, mid 90s. Fender Pro Juniors, the tweed ones. Oh. It's got like the, one 12, I think it's a 12 or a 10 in speaker. Yes. It's the volume and tone. That's it. Um, and it wasn't until I brought that to a rehearsal once in LA and I cranked the thing all the way to 10 and then rolled the volume back on the guitar and then started playing. And I was like, holy shit, there's the, and you know, I've got a semi hollow body. I was like, oh my God, there's, that's the Almond Brothers sound. Yep. Like that's, there it was. And, um, and that's then when I started going down the path of really like understanding dynamics with electric guitar. Nice. Anyway. The last, you, I, you may, you may have to do some, you may have to do a little editing on this show. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a little bit. All I got was uh, a kid. <laughs> that was it. Oh yeah. Well now with a kid, I was saying I'm as, I'm as far away from, uh, playing as I've been in a while. Yeah, it, it, it pulls you away, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, I totally understand on that. Now, when you're playing shows and all that, you know, um, what was what, what inspiration did you have? I'm thinking I'm losing you here. I wanted to write great tunes. Better right there. There we go. I, uh, I was never one of those that really learned like a whole song all the way through unless I like I didn't want to do covers okay. that, was, that was a thing so even to this day like I will learn cover tune you know obviously if I'm playing out or something like that but I always just tried to pick covers that I felt like I could do in a different way and then the rest were all originals so I would just spend a lot of time writing and I just listened to a lot of different people and um and just tried to write songs and also felt like if I'm gonna, you know, talk about inspiration, you know, again, Bloomfield, it's like, yeah, I better try to be good at either singing or songwriting or playing or being a filmmaker or a roadie or do something. If I'm gonna, you know, have that name in my, in my history somewhere. True, true. I mean, yeah, you have the bar pretty high, that's for sure. So that was, yeah, so that was that's inspiration enough, you know. And I think also, really, to be honest, and one of the other things when I when I was living in LA that would always, um, that was sort of like a guiding thing was like you could see people that you would come across or meet or whatever, uh, and you're all out there to make it, whatever it is, but and. You know, I would look at someone and think like, well, that's that's a path. I could end up on that path, right? The, the guy that's like still hanging on well past when he should be trying to hang on and go for it. 
Um, or there's the person that seems like they're making it, you know, and was always kind of like, I don't want to go down that path. I want to, you know, this is more of the path I want to do. So I don't know. LA is an interesting place, man. I, I haven't, I mean, I've been back over the last 10 years. I, I moved back here 10 years ago. I think it's changed a lot in those 10 years. It changed a lot right as I was starting to move. And then, you know, it just sort of seems to have exploded. The food scene's way better than it was yes. when I first moved out there. Shit, 94 when I moved out there was like Spago. That was like, yeah. <laughs> um, Wolfgang Puck was like the, the big name. Now there's a gajillion of them. Um, you know, the music scene out there, I always found fascinating, especially coming from the East Coast because of the East Coast. It's like, you know, people drive from Connecticut to Boston to go see a band and, you know, or whatever it is, you, you make these long treks as part of the, the, the experience. experience yeah. You're right in front of the stage and you, know, you can't get off. I got out to LA and it's like, there'd be like a 13 foot, you know, vacancy Seats. in front of the stage. People would just sort of hang back and watch, right? And that whole sort of pay to play thing of like selling a certain number of tickets before you play. And yep. I was like, yeah. Um, I also came up um, with a lot of those jam bands, Fish and Dave Matthews and Mo and you know all that whole world. Um, I was part of that growing up as a teenager back here, and so like that mentality of of you know face to face direct contact with your fans, your customers, whatever, and yeah. selling merch, and you know I came out of all that, so. I was used to that. So I always found the LA thing kind of interesting, we'll say. (laughs) It is. We played at Bakersfield and it was like night and day for playing in LA. Yeah. And it was at that point I had like a bass player and a harmonica player and I was playing acoustic guitar. And we were doing like blues rock stuff. Nice. I was like, wow, just come on out to Bakersfield. It's like a whole other vibe, you know? Yeah. Um, People actually listening and stuff like that. You know, it just—it was almost like you just needed to get out of the city, head north a little bit, or east, or south, and, uh, <laughs> or south, right, yeah. right. Um, and uh, yeah, but phenomenal players out there. There it is, is, you know, pretty pretty phenomenal players for sure. There it is. was also a weird time in music when I moved out to LA because it was, particularly up on the Strip, it was like. Oh, I used to play this place called Coconut Teaser. Well, that's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, do you know that place? Yeah. Yeah, man. I used to I used to play downstairs. I played the upstairs once, and then I played downstairs most of the bar. And um, you know, you would go on after like the lineups would always be so weird because it was '94, <laughs> so it was like you know some metal band, yep. glam band that was still hanging on. Uh, and then me, whatever I was doing, blues rock thing, and then you're like you know your typical grunge band. Yep. Um, and so it was just kind of a weird flux time for what was happening. Yeah, they would they would mix it up. That's for sure. Uh, you would get a huge array of uh, music that day on the genre spectrum. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, cool. Well, yeah. um, I know on your podcast, you get a, a ton of, uh, I'm going to call them celebrities, you know, okay. they work behind the okay. scenes. They, they, they 
they make the artists look good, you know, and they are the true celebrities. And I got to experience it a little bit with uh, working with Grace Royce um, at the LA uh, Pride Festival. And man, they are hardworking people that make the artists look good. And it's amazing what they do day in, day out. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. I did it for three days and I was gone. I was tired. I called in sick the next day. Yeah. And that was just down the street. Right. Right. Now imagine doing it for like three months that are shot in a bus. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And it's amazing who you have on your show. And it's incredible with the, the people that you've had. And now is there anybody that you've had a wow shocker when you interviewed them? You mean part of their story? Part of their story. Um, I mean, there's so many, so much stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, I, I don't know. I guess it depends what you mean by a wow shocker. For me, uh, like you said, these people, and that's why I started the show, right? Because I think these people are as important, more important than the artists that they work for. Agree. Because without them they were you know that's my tagline right yeah. no roadies no rock and roll i don't care what music you're in um it's not just rock and roll and so you know for me like they they are the heartbeat they're and and they have their own society and culture yes they do and, you know <laughs> uh yeah and and um and they gotta let you in and you have to earn the opportunity to be let in yes. um and so, you know, there's a guy, Richard Bennett, who's got a, a digital magazine called Loden International Magazine or Loden Magazine, uh, which is kind of like the print form of what I do. And um, we talk about that a lot. We, uh, he's been on my show. And in fact, we had a, a Skype call today. We were talking about some stuff. And, you know, we just talk about, like, the, the fact that you've been let in and that you need to respect that. Yes. To their, to their world. and so. Part of that is I'm floored by the and humbled by the the fact that they will come on my show and share their stories. So I think all of their stories are a wow factor, but it's the people that like you're not talking. Let's just be clear here, right? The folks that are that are crew members, yeah. So the crew, right? They're not going to get recognition. They don't go into this wanting to be a rock star unless they go into, you know, start being in a band and think they're going to be a rock star. And then it's just like, oh, shit, I'm not going to make it. And but I want to stay in sort of a thing. But they know it's going to be pretty thankless yeah. for the most part. And, you know, even in, the, in that industry, like a lot of other industries, it's like the one percent are the known you know, the Robert Scovilles, the, the Pooches, you know, the all that kind of stuff. But even with that, they're just the 1% known within the industry. It's not like the average person on the street knows who they are, right? So this exactly, is a relatively yeah. thankless thing. Okay. But so when I talk to some of these people and you hear the sacrifices that they make, yeah. and, and that's right yeah, in their regular career, they have to make sacrifices like we just talked about. They're going to be on a bus for three months or flying or whatever it is. But to get to that point, you know, I always go back to this woman, Fela Davis. 
who was one of my early guests. And she grew up in an area down south where there was no Musicians Institute, you know, nearby. There were no clubs really nearby. There was nobody around her that was in the industry doing what she wanted to do. And somehow, when she was young, she found like some kind of trade magazine, or maybe it was a guitar magazine. She saw like a board. She saw like a, a you know an analog mixing board, and she just sort of fell in love with the idea. And so she would have like pictures of those things in her room. This is a young African American woman, right? Already two strikes against you in this industry. Yes, and. She just followed her passion to learn how to do the figure it out and had all kinds of, so she, the nearest club to her that she could work at was a house of blues. And it was like two hours away. And she was deboning chickens during the day and then would drive two hours to go work at the house of blues for like 65 bucks for the whole night and turn around and drive home, wake up, go work at a, a chicken plant and do it again. And now she is Christian McBride's front of house engineer for all of his bands. He's got like five or six different bands and projects that he does. She's got her own podcast. She's got a successful you know, production company. And I just always use that as the like, want this, want something hard enough. Gotta push hard. Yes. Most definitely, most definitely. And that, that was a wow. That first, you know, that was a wow for me. And then there's others. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of amazing women that to overcome a lot of different things, to yes. carve out their own path this industry and a lot of amazing men young and old and you know everything in between um so yeah i think they're all wow stories and it, you know i totally agree now that you mention it that way it, it's, it's true you know they they do a lot they sacrifice a lot yeah. and there's no you know unless you're in the union i guess there's pension no pension it's like yeah it's hard to save. I mean, there's a whole piece of the industry and of the of the life that you are not taught, right? You go to SAE, you go to Musicians Institute, you go to whatever these schools that you teach you about sound waves and all that kind of shit. Nobody teaches you how to budget and take care of your finances, <laughs> take care of your health, and and deal deal with after tour. Yeah, because after tour is rough, and. You know, you've been out, someone's told you where to go, you, you, you have a direction, you know, you're yes. flying, you're, you're moving from city to city, you're gig to gig and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden tour's over. Now you're home, in reality, and that fucks people up. Yeah, separation anxiety almost, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they go through a lot, and um, look at it, it's the life that they've chosen, but, um, but it's, it's intense, man. It is intense. It is intense, and I got to see it and witness this for witness it for ha- firsthand. And uh, you know what? 
I give thanks to every roadie I see out there because it takes a lot to do what they do. Whenever you see a roadie out there, go ahead and thank him. Tell him what great job he's doing. Make sure you buy him some food. Buy him a drink. That's right. And thank him for the show. Don't just ask for shit. <laughs> Don't just Yeah, don't don't ask for stuff, people. When you're out there watching the show, you know, thank people and don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you this other thing too, because you know, I know your your show is is guitar centric and, and whatnot, and that is, and this kind of blew me away. I never even put this together, but like someone like Doug Redler, is a guitar tech, and has been with Rich Robinson and the Black Crows and the B fifty twos and. Daryl Hall, and you know, the guy's been around. Yes, he has been around. He's the reason I started the show. Most of these guys and gals, talking guitar techs or bass techs, whatever, like when they come off tour and their their hometown is Detroit or New York City, wherever the hell it is, they gotta work. They yeah. gotta work for a month, and so most of them have a shop, you know, where they go in and they do their tech thing. And it blew me away the first time I realized that, like, someone like Doug Redler, who works on Rich Robinson's guitars at the Black Crows, is going down to 30th Street Guitars as his day gig in between tours to keep making money and to tune guitars. Because it was like, oh, my God, you mean, like, if I bring my guitar into a place like that, who knows who the guitar tech is who's working on your stuff? The point is, be nice to those people. Yes. You know, don't just treat them as like, oh, you're just some dude at Guitar Center. Now, maybe at a place like that. (laughs) Brick and mortar places, you know, you'll definitely have a true professional working on your instrument. At least my experience, that's what it's been. So a lot of uh, inspiring stories and uh, a a little bit of a a lot of stuff here. (laughs) I hope you got something you can do. Yeah, I, I got I got plenty. If not, uh, they can listen to your show. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised. That I you know, besides my family, I'm surprised I even have people listening to it. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable, right? It is. I'll get emails from like Australia or um, uh, you know South Africa or something. You know, it's like whoa amazing it's like yeah. you're actually asking uh when am i gonna put an episode out yeah well i want to thank you for uh taking the time i know it's uh about 11 30 out there in new york or east coast time yeah 10 30 oh. we're, we're not 11 30 yet 11 30 we got an hour to go then no but i do want to thank you and uh you were one of actually my first uh, inspirations to uh, launch this podcast and get going. Um, Thank you. You know, I think it was uh, one of the first um, YouTube videos that you actually made. You know, you said it, you know, just do it. Oh, yeah. You can one. only go up <laughs> from where you start, so. Oh, and that's right. Yeah, well, again, I think people get, you know, there's a lot. It took me a year and a half, almost two years to start mine. Because I kept thinking, like, I don't have the logo yet. I don't have this yet. And, you know, it was like I didn't, I wasn't worried about the interview part. Like, I got that part. That, um, it was sort of a bit more the technical thing. And I kept putting it off and work and this and that. 
you know, kind of got in the way. And then I was just like, then I was not working and like a lot yeah. of work fell out and I had a lot of downtime. I was like, man, I'll just do this thing on the side. We'll just be in the background. And, um, so I just started it and then it just went and like three episodes in, I was like, Oh shit, this is a problem. This is a problem. <laughs> you know, I knew I was going to like doing it, but I didn't realize I was going to fall in love with doing it. Yeah. And then very quickly for like the rest of that year, I just made it like the main thing that I was doing. And my wife was like, what are you doing, dude? We need to make some money. I was like, don't, this is going to make the money. This is going to be it. And then you realize like, yeah, no, that's not how this works. No, you know? no. <laughs> and three and a half, almost four years in, you know, it's like, it's okay if it doesn't make it. I mean, I'd like it to. That'd be great. I'd love to be flying around the world doing money for radio, but what I got an endless amount of stories to tell. So that's right. Because I've got, you know, I got thousands of people out there working their butts off every night. That's right. I can have on the show. So <laughs> no, it's cool, man. And and like you said, you know, it was a surprise to me. You know, you put these things out, right? It's like you get five listens the first time, and then like <laughs> twenty the next show, and you're like, okay, well, someone's listening. Uh, and then you realize, like, I had this whole thing. At like 20, 25 episodes in where I was like, wow, you know, it's really amazing because you put your voice out there and you're kind of shouting like, hey, I've got this show. Come listen to my show. Yeah. I'm on I'm on Mondays, right? And then you're kind of like, I better have something to fucking say. Better have something for Monday because it's coming up fast. Well, not only that, but I better like I better really provide something of value for people. Yes. Yes. And so you start finding your voice. And, you know, I'm gonna be 150 episodes in next week. And so I think I've done that part of it, but you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. And then, you know, like you reach out, then you start building on social and then you get people like reaching out. Like, I love your show. I mean, listen to your show. And you're like, really? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought it, was, thought it was just my family or my father-in-law listens to every episode. And he's like my first critique. Usually, <laughs> You know, we go over, we go over for family dinner or something. I'm coming through the door. He's like, Oh okay. my God. I don't know what the fuck you two were talking about with the amp and the thing, but you know that guy or gal, they were amazing. You know, oh yeah. Talk too much technical stuff. Like, that sounds that sounds like my brother-in-law. <laughs> right. I right. see so, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been awesome, man. It has. And then, and then I'll tell you the other part that's really cool. We can end on this thing because I'm sure you're starting to get this too. Yes, the emails, the DMs. That's super cool. That is. But when you go to like the NAM show or you go to AES or one of those things and A, you meet a guest in person. Because, you know, a lot of times for me it's a Skype call or something. So yeah. when you finally get to meet them in person and you've shared, you know, you share an hour with somebody and they're opening up and like you're, you're in the zone with them and then that's it, right? You're on to the next one. So when you finally get to meet them in person, that to me is super cool. And then you get to meet somebody or someone comes up to you like, hey, you're a you know, the podcast, man. Thanks so much for doing that. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? That's yep. crazy. So it's cool, man. It's I, very cool. I, I think to summarize, I think that was my well factor. Well, my well factor. When I actually met the people I interviewed. Yeah. And I, like you said, it was at NAM. Yeah. So, yeah. It was super cool. It's amazing. It just is that little reminder that like, you're on the right path. Yeah. 
I'm doing something good. So if not, I'll reach out to you and uh, use you as a consultant. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> well, Larry, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with me and uh, not shooting the breeze, but uh, informing us of your podcast and what you do and what you speak of. I appreciate it. And good luck to you. Keep up the good work. Keep these things coming out, man. Likewise, likewise. Thank you very much. And thank you for uh, giving a voice to all those roadies. Doing my best. Doing my best to shine a light. I'll see you at the NAMM show. You're going to go this year. I'm going to try to go. I have not fully, for those folks listening, going to know, uh, I have not fully sold the idea to my wife yet. I'm working up to it. <laughs> I'm working up slowly to it. I do want to thank our guest, Larry Milburn from Roadie Free Radio. You are a true inspiration to all of us, especially me. I do hope you're able to persuade your wife into uh, letting you attend Winter NAM 2020. And uh, I will hopefully uh, catch you out there and uh, definitely get together. And let's see what uh, shenanigans we could get into over there. Again, I want to thank all my listeners for giving me a chance to uh, speak my mind and being patient and waiting for me to put another episode out there. Don't forget to visit roadiefreeradio.com to find one of the latest episodes that Larry Milburn has put out. And normally he has them out every Monday. So um, he's like clockwork. He is like clockwork. You'll find it there every Monday. So do enjoy his show. I always do. Do visit his website, and uh, he does sell merchandise. He has shirts, uh, I believe some uh, guitar tabs from uh, Michael Bloomfield, and also uh, uh, stickers. He's got a lot of stickers there. So you can uh, decorate your uh, road cases or decorate your house with uh, Roadie Free Radio. We are uh, down the line going to be getting some stickers for our podcast, and we will be putting those up on the website. And uh, our, like I said, our computer crashed uh, during the summer, so we're finally up and running. And uh, I kind of tacked some of our uh, website uh, content, so we still have to uh, reestablish those up. And once it's up and going, you should be fine to visit all the areas of the site don't forget someplace somewhere when you least expect it you'll hear that one song that will forever change your life have a good one folks be safe Mm -hmm.